and welcome to This Mom Loves. I'm Kate Wynn. I'm a mom. I'm a kindergarten teacher, a writer, a blogger, and now a podcaster as well. And I'm so thrilled that you are listening to episode seven of this podcast. Today is a special episode because I'm not going to do my usual favorite things or lifestyle segment because the interview is the uh, the whole focus of the show today. It's a special on resilience and my special guest in a few moments will be Allison Bell. She happens to be one of my BFFs, but she has also been through so many things and has so much insight to share. You're not going to believe uh, her story, but I'm sure by the end you will love her as much as I do. So we will get to that in just a moment. Today's episode of This Mom Loves is sponsored by One A Day Women's Gummies, a multivitamin formulated to help support good health, including your immune function, bone and teeth development, and more, all in a tasty fruit-flavored gummy. Always read and follow the label. And just before we get to today's special guest, I also want to let you know where you can find me. I would love for you to, to reach out and say hello. I'm on Twitter and Facebook at This Mom Loves, as well as on Instagram at Kate This Mom Loves. And I'm not joking when I say it really does make my day if I get a tweet or a Facebook or Instagram message saying I was listening to your podcast or telling me something they liked. If you want to ask me for something that you want to hear about on the show, I would love to hear from you. And my website is thismomloves.ca. You can click on podcast to find all of the show notes for this episode as well as all of the other episodes as well. I am so excited to welcome my guest here today, Allison Bell. I first emailed Allison about being interviewed a couple of years ago, actually. I had emailed her and said, oh, can I interview you maybe for a story on the blog? I think you'd be really inspiring. And she wrote back and said, well, I don't know how inspiring I'd be. I'm not too sure. And and I said, well, Allison, like you've been through infertility, the death of an infant, you've been through postpartum depression and cancer. I mean, you know, I think that's inspiring. And she wrote back and said, and the lactose intolerance. Don't forget the lactose intolerance. So as you can already tell, she has been through a lot, but has kept her sense of humor. And I think you're going to, uh, to really be compelled by her story. And also, hopefully a lot of people will be helped by it as well. So thank you so much, Allison Bell, for being with me here today. Thank you, Kate. Now, Allison and I actually met in university. We were working in the, the back room of an insurance company together, along with Amanda, the third member of our trio. But our whole friendship is probably the story for another, another podcast episode, because we're going to get into more of Allison's own personal and family journey. So I'm going to take you back to being married to your wonderful husband, Brian. 2008, you got married. I was a bridesmaid with a three-week-old breastfeeding baby, so I don't remember a lot of that, <laughs> but I know it was a lovely wedding. Um, and then as some couples discover after they get married and it's time to start a family, it wasn't so easy as maybe you had thought. Can you tell me a bit about that? Yeah, well, we were waiting until we were kind of established in our careers, and then we um, had bought a house, and we're like, okay, we're ready to start our family now, so let's start it okay, still waiting. Okay. Maybe just a couple more months. Okay. Maybe just a couple more years. And, um, finally we realized that we, we weren't able to get pregnant on our own. So we went into, um, to a clinic and ended up having to go through a battery of tests and everything looked to be okay. It was unexplained infertility, but we ended up having to use, uh, the IUI procedure in order to get pregnant. So, um, we were lucky at first that that did actually work for us. 
Okay. So you did get pregnant. So that was towards the end of 2010. And then the first half of 2011, you spent getting ready for your first child. And I know you found out it was a boy and there were showers and everything. And I'm sure in your mind, you're probably just expecting that, you know, now that you actually got pregnant and and kept the pregnancy, that everything was going to be fine. Mm -hmm. Um, Yes, we did. uh, We had frequent checkups due to the um, IUI procedures we had gone through. So we were really closely followed by um, an OB and the fertility doctor, at least in the early part of the pregnancy. And everything was progressing totally normally. Um, Baby was growing fine and I was feeling great. So we had no worries at all throughout the pregnancy. Okay. And then um, July 11th and 12th, 2011. So I'm not going to step on your story here, but from my end, I can remember standing in the kitchen, phone call, name of the hospital on the call display. And it was your husband. And he said to me, you know, I've got some news. You might want to sit down. So can you just kind of in your own words, walk us through those two days? Yes. And um, you were the first person we called, Kate, because we knew you were a teacher and you would be home in the middle of the day in July and we needed to, <laughs> to tell someone what had happened. But um, I'm sure I didn't give you all the details in that very first phone call. But what had ended up happening was um, we had had a really busy weekend. We had two baby showers and we also spent the Sunday of that weekend getting the nursery put together, assembling the crib and unpacking all the, the pictures and photo frames and things. Um, and then on, on Sunday night, I realized I hadn't felt the baby move for that day on Sunday, but we were so busy moving around. I'm like, I, I'm sure I just didn't notice. So then on Monday, I just when I got off the train in Toronto to go to work, instead of going to the office, I went straight to my OB's office, which was right down the street, and just said, you know, I haven't felt the baby move. Can you check me out? Um, and they had trouble finding the heartbeat. They did find it, but uh, they had a bit of trouble. So they sent me right to Mount Sinai and had me hooked up to a machine to check the baby's movement. And uh, the doctor came in and said, we've got to get this baby out of you right now. So Monday morning, Mm. (laughs) um, Brian was at home, so he rushed to the hospital as fast as he could, and I had an emergency C-section, and we ended up having Luke around one in the afternoon, and um, he was uh, breathing, but barely. He was born very sick. Um, What I found out later, it was a little hard to process in the moment, but he Um, had suffered from fetal maternal hemorrhage, which means a reversal of the blood flow from the placenta. So instead of my body feeding him blood, it was taking his blood away from him. So he was born severely anemic um, and required several blood transfusions right after he was born. Um, They took him right to the NICU, the NICU, and uh, we spent... 24 hours with him in the NICU, and then um, uh, we had to make the decision to um, to remove him from life support because he was not able to uh, to breathe on his own, and Ed would never be able to because he was born with such severe um, blood loss. So um, we were lucky, though. We were able to have 24 hours with him, and it was enough time for... Um, my sister and Brian's brother, as well as both sets of grandparents, were all able to join us at the hospital. 
so that they could all meet him and hold him and say goodbye before um, he passed away. Wow, you did really well telling that story, Allison. <laughs> and what uh, what a horrible, tragic time for you and your family. I remember it very well. Um, I can remember visiting you after, like after Luke's uh, memorial service and everything, visiting you at home. And in my mind, one thing that I was clinging on to was just the injustice of you recovering from a C-section without a baby to show for it. Like to me, that just seemed like the the worst salt in the wound, just that you had to go through all of that recovery and everything without without Luke, which I thought was was so awful. Um, so I want later on, I want to get to, you know, some ways people helped you and things like that. But in terms of dealing with the grief right after losing Luke, what did you find was helpful? What did you do to sort of uh, to sort of help you in that situation? Um, well, immediately after, we were just so in shock. We could barely function, honestly. It was uh, just very hard to kind of see through the clouds at that point. Um, I, I couldn't even tell you exactly how long it took for us to come out of that fog, but... Um, one thing that really helped us was spending time with people. So we found that summer, um, we ended up, we'd go to my parents a lot. We'd go to Brian's parents. We spent a lot of time with our friends um, in Port Elgin. We would go and spend weekends because it was very quiet in the house by ourselves when we had expected there to be a little baby at that time. And um, so really, we just leaned on others for support and the lovely thing was we did have a lot of visitors at that time, um, people who wanted to come and, and chat. So that really helped us with our recovery. Um, I was able to take time off work, which I was very blessed to be able to do. So I took about six months off and I spent a lot of time um, in therapy, <laughs> also ex exercising, <laughs> you know, um, self-care. And, um, and I did go on a lot of baby loss forums because it's, it's sadly more common than you may think. Um, and I found it helpful learning from the journeys of others. And I even found myself once I was a little further along in the grief process, I was able to kind of give advice and try to help support others online as well. It's wonderful, all the different resources that there are now because of the web and, you know, like the way we can connect with people that maybe you wouldn't have been able to, you know, in an earlier time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So eventually you decided that you were ready to try for another baby. And so if I recall correctly, you went back to the IUI process. Yes, we did. And yeah. you tried several times with no luck. And then what happened? Well, so we tried for about eight months um, with no luck. And then we realized that it, it just wasn't going to work. So we would have to make the jump to IVF. So um, we took a month off between moving into IVF. And that month was the lucky month for us. So <laughs> we ended up pregnant with no interventions out of the blue. <laughs> Isn't that funny? And then I didn't even know until we started talking about this interview together. I think in my mind, I thought that your pregnancy with Charlotte was kind of uneventful, but you actually told me that no, uh, there was a bit of a complication there as well. Yeah. Um, well, because of Obviously, what happened with Luke, we were hypersensitive to it, and my OBGYN was as well. So I was having frequent 
ultrasounds and um, they were just really monitoring the baby all the way along. And um, at one point I was at home visiting my parents near Peterborough and I actually started bleeding. So immediately panicked. My parents rushed me into the um, to the hospital here and it's it's got a very small um, obstetrics unit and it didn't have the capacity to support babies born before I think it was 30 weeks and they were just afraid with my history and then with this breakthrough bleeding that I might have to give birth early so they actually sent me in the air ambulance to Mount Sinai in Toronto <laughs> which was exciting you know in hindsight I'm like oh I got to ride in the helicopter that was exciting <laughs> at the time I was not enjoying the trip I must say no but, I can imagine um, <laughs> but when I got there they found um it was a very small placental tear. It wasn't dangerous, but they wanted to, once again, just be hyper aware of what had happened in the past. So I was put on bed rest for the remainder of the pregnancy, which was about eight weeks. Okay. And then Charlotte was born, beautiful, healthy baby. Mm-hmm, she was. <laughs> And there's a lot more to tell, but I'm just going to take a really quick break at this point on that high note for a quick word from our sponsor, One A Day Women's Gummies. I can say that I take one a day every day, and while I still try to get my fruits and vegetables, this multivitamin gives me some peace of mind. It has ingredients to help maintain immune and muscle function, eyesight and metabolism support. The chewable gummy format is particularly great if you have difficulty swallowing vitamins and comes in tasty mixed fruit flavors. You can buy one-a-day women's gummies wherever vitamins are sold. Always use as directed. So back to my conversation with the inspiring Allison Bell, who just happens to be one of my BFFs. So you had a healthy baby born in 2013, Charlotte. But then after that, you started to have another struggle. Tell us a little bit about that. Um, Well, after Charlotte was born, after... um about four years of trying for a healthy baby. Um, uh, When she was about six weeks old, I guess, I was just feeling absolutely exhausted, as all new mothers do. But it was was deeper than that. It it felt different. Um, I was able to get some help. My mom came and took the baby and did all of the night feedings for a while, for about a week. But I was still waking up bone tired and I didn't want to leave the house and to be honest when I did leave the house I didn't want to go home I wanted to just run away so I realized I needed some help something wasn't right luckily for me I had been um, talking to a therapist ever since we lost Luke Um, my you know postpartum grief therapy kind of turned into um infertility therapy and then I was still seeing him after Charlotte was born and when I relayed to him these feelings I was having he said I think you've got postpartum depression and we should get you on uh, some medication for that. And you did find the medication helpful? Extremely helpful yeah it, it really it worked for me I I tried um when I kind of realized what was going on, I was trying to get out and exercise and just kind of use a positive mindset and mindfulness, which has helped me in the past. And it, mm-hmm. when it just wasn't working and it was turning into physical symptoms, I did find that the drugs really worked for me. I was on Ciprolex. Um, I was on for six or eight months, but it just totally um, made made it able made me able to enjoy 
having the baby and better, more resilient to deal with all of the tiredness because you are going to be tired, but there's tired and then there's, you know, mentally exhausted. So yeah, sort of that extra layer. And I remember too, wondering at the time with the postpartum depression, if even if it was even worse, or maybe you'd be even harder on yourself because of it, because after like four years, as you said, you should be so happy now. Like you have a healthy baby. You should be just so ecstatic and loving every minute of it. And I kind of wondered whether maybe the depression could hit even harder because of that. Yeah. I, I feel like it did because it took us so long. And then because we had lost Luke, exactly as you say, like we should be overjoyed. But having a newborn is so hard and it's so hard for first time moms anyway. So I guess I was just hit, you know, I was kind of blindsided by the amount of work and the amount of um, exhaustion from it. And, uh, and yeah, it really, um, I think it made it a little tougher to recover after the birth, having had to deal with the stress of, of all the things going into the pregnancy up until she was born as well. Mm-hmm. And then not too long after Charlotte was born, you added to your family again. <laughs> yes, that was <laughs> a happy surprise. <laughs> um, when Charlotte was eight months old, we uh, became pregnant with um, our second baby, little baby Alexandra. <laughs> And that was a smooth pregnancy, smooth delivery. Yes, no worries at all. Um, Having had Charlotte and everything was fine, I think, gave me a lot more confidence about the whole process. Um, We still had the same OB. We had her from the beginning, um, and she was more relaxed. And um, yes, there there were no stresses with Alex. That's great. And I mean, anybody listening to this would probably think, wow, like that woman's been through a lot and that's great, sort of happy ending. But physically, it wasn't quite a happy ending yet because then you ended up with a totally different issue. So let's talk about Uh, that. This is making my life sound really tragic, Kate. (laughs) (laughs) So tell me about the bladder issues that you then faced. So after Alex was born, right after Alex was born, I um, felt like I was having um, urinary tract infections. So I started going to the doctor when she was about a month old. Um, And they would put me on antibiotics and it seemed to help for a while. And then, you know, the next month it would flare up again. So I'd go back and go on the antibiotics again. And I did this probably three or four times until I was on these antibiotics that were like an inch long and an inch thick and they were black and yellow painted with big X's on them. They were the the strongest medication I've ever seen. And it was still not helping. I still felt like I was having urinary tract infections and it may be too much information, Kate, but just in case anyone else is experiencing this, I just want you to know, um, the, the symptoms of urinary tract um, infection is kind of a burning sensation, a frequent need to urinate, um, and a little bit of blood in your pee as well. Um, just because I thought I was having all of these symptoms, I thought that's what it was. That was urinary tract infection. Finally, one day, um, after the medications just hadn't worked and hadn't worked, I asked to see a a urologist. So I actually asked my family doctor to refer me because I thought something is going on um, that's beyond this medication. I was still having all the symptoms and they weren't getting better. They were getting actually a lot worse. I was losing weight. I was sweating. I was 
lactose intolerant, which as we know, was the worst part of it because I couldn't have <laughs> ice cream or cheese. <laughs> of course. Yeah. So they sent me to a urologist um, who got me in for a cystoscopy, which is an examination of the bladder um, internally. And they found um, a cancerous tumor in my bladder, uh, which is... Um, much more common among men over the age of 70. And I was 36 <laughs> at the time. <laughs> you always beat the odds. Alice. Yes, yes. 36 at the time with a, a six month old at home. <laughs> so, you know, there's never a good time to get cancer, uh, but it was a particularly bad time for me. Uh -huh. And so what was the course of treatment then for that? So, um, he, I was scheduled for surgery, so they removed it, um, and then they did a lot of testing. I had um, a CT scan just to make sure it wasn't invasive, and it turned out, luckily, not to be invasive. So they took the tumor out, and then there was no follow-up treatment, but I had to go back um, in six months to check again. And bladder cancer actually has a 50% regrowth rate. So when I went back in six months, it had come back. So I had to get it out again. So I'm now three years out and I've had it out three times now. Um, but I'm now on yearly cystoscopies. So I go every 12 months instead of every six. But that's going to be for life um, because of the high regrowth rate. And they do say there's no real system. It's not like if it stays away for a while, then you're cured it can come back at any time so I'm happy to have the security of knowing that every 12 months I'm going to be checked out but it's mm. an uncomfortable procedure it's not something I really look forward to <laughs> but <laughs> I am just glad that I have those like set up so that I don't have to worry about it I know I'm going to be checked out for sure. And I remember at the time when you were diagnosed and first treated, I remember you saying you almost felt kind of like a cancer fraud because you just needed the surgery as opposed to all of these people we hear about going through chemo, radiation, all of those different things. So tell mm -hmm. me a bit about that. I, I still kind of feel like that because right now, for instance, when I don't have the cancer inside me, do I still say I have cancer? Because I guess it could grow at any time. I have something in my bladder that is prone to it. So I just feel a little odd telling people I have cancer when, when it's not what I picture in my mind as someone who has cancer, who's had to go through all of these things. Um, but it's different, right? I have, I didn't have to have chemo and radiation, but at the same time I have it hanging, I'm going to have it hanging over my head for the rest of my life, really, because of the high regrowth rate. Right. Yeah. Well, right now, as far as I know, you're in a pretty happy, healthy place right now with your family. So the girls are, I think, five and four. Is that right? They're both in school now. Yes, that's right. And I'm curious to know, what do you tell the girls about Luke? Um, well, so we've we've moved houses fairly recently. So I haven't talked about him with the girls in a little while simply because in our old home we actually had a display set up. We had a china cabinet and in that we had Luke's stuffed animals. 
Um, and we had a little urn that had his ashes in it. It's just like a little alphabet block with a blue ribbon around it. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had his picture book. So um, every year, at least on his birthday, but then also when the girls you know, were old enough to kind of see the toys and they would want to play with them, and we'd say, no, those are Luke's toys. Um, and we looked through the picture book with the girls. Alex is still, she's the four-year-old. She's still a little bit young. Um, but Charlotte, Charlotte knows that Luke is her brother. Um, so I do find, we need to find a place for those things at our new house so that he is with our family. Um, they're still packed away until we're, we're settled in here, but Mm -hmm. that's kind of how we have the conversation. Um, but at the same time, as great as it is talking to them about him and making sure that they know he's a part of our lives, as a grieving mom, uh, it's been very hard at times because they like to talk about him. So I remember taking them into daycare um, a few months ago before they were in school, and uh, there was a mom with a carrying in a like a baby car seat. And one of the girls said, Oh, that's like baby Luke. Oh, but he died. Right, mom. And Um, I had to say, yes, yes, he died. And it just kind of, you know, we hadn't been talking about him. It just kind of came out of the blue, but I don't want to discourage them from talking about about him, even though it makes me sad. So having the conversations is important, but you do also have to kind of steal yourself for being reminded of it when you're when you're least expecting it well I remember you came with me the first time I went to visit the social and I was there to do sort of a behind the scenes and and afterwards we went backstage and I was interviewing Cynthia and you were very visibly pregnant she said to you oh is it your first and you just said yeah and I said (laughs) after oh is that just kind of your answer and you said well it's just easier like really somebody you're just meeting once you really don't want to go into the whole story right so exactly yeah yeah it's uh and it's something yeah all of my friends know all of my friends and family who've you know been with me the whole time know about it but it is it's kind of an awkward subject to bring up with new people um they don't know how to react and I feel bad putting them in an awkward position but you know once I really get to know someone it is something I would share it's just there's never a good time to share a story like that, I don't find. Unless you're right here on your friend's podcast. <laughs> Sharing it with the world. Uh, yes. Yeah. Now, I know you kind of have a special symbol that represented Luke. And I remember when um, you and Amanda came to London with me for my 40th birthday, we were leaving. It was either Luke's birthday or the, the next day, the anniversary of his death. And and you were kind of emotional mm-hmm. about it. And you told a story that kind of linked into that symbol. If you're willing to share it again, I'd love to hear it. Yes. Um, so every year on Luke's birthday, which is July 11th, we celebrate him. Um, we choose not to celebrate his death day. We just try to think of him on his birthday. So um, every year that day I take off work and I make sure I spend some time with him, with his memories. Um, and it turned out that we were flying to London on the 11th. So I knew that was coming. I knew that was coming for months. So I thought, well, on July the 10th, I'll I'll have my little time with Luke. Um, so it's it's always a hard day. Still, you know, seven years later, it's a hard day for me. Of course. Um, and I had 
look through all of our mementos. And I, I remember I was sitting outside, it was a beautiful day. And I wrote a Facebook post just to share with people, you know, what I was thinking, because I, I also want our friends and family to remember him too. Um, and I wrote written pretty emotional post about how um, I was sharing his memory with the girls. And I was crying a lot. And once I hit send on the post, and it went public. And I looked up and a little bunny hopped out into our backyard. So we always we've always associated bunnies with Luke. One of the very first toys we got for him before he was born with a, was a little blue bunny. And my dad made a little um, chest for him like to hold his memories in and it's got bunnies on the side. So seeing this bunny hop into the yard just as I had hit send when I was sitting there crying by myself feeling my absolute lowest I was just taken aback. I just thought, oh my gosh, this is Luke coming to say hi um, and saying it's okay. Because I was feeling guilty that on his actual birthday, I was going to be out having fun with my friends. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So the bunny hopped away and I felt like a weight was lifted off my shoulders that he had come to say hi and and it was okay. I love that story. So You've been through so much and I'm sure just by listening to everything you've already said, you've, you've been able to help people, but I'm also curious about some more specific things. So I know I haven't been through any of the things that you've talked about. Um, I mean, everyone has their own issues. Every marriage has its own issues, but I'm just really curious how you and Brian kind of got through all of that together, like the impact on a marriage and, and what you guys did to sort of, sort of say, stay strong through all of those challenges. Mm-hmm. Um. It hit us so out of the blue, um, losing this baby when we hadn't expected it to come. Like we had, there were no warning signs that we were just clinging to each other for dear life, um, at least in the beginning. Um, And I don't know that that was a conscious choice. That's just what happened. Like we felt like, you know, we were fighting a war together to just try and get back to our our normal selves and our sanity. So we really just clung together and... um, we shared with each other memories. And if I was feeling sad, like I could not hold back the tears. So I would just cry to Brian and tell him what I was feeling and he would do the same to me. So that was very important. We weren't trying to hide our feelings. I did find when some people would come to visit, I would really try and put on a brave face. I would, you know, hold back the tears. I would have a nice visit. They would leave and I would fall apart. Um, so I found that honest, having that honesty with Brian, where we were able to be totally honest about how we were feeling and not worry about trying to hide our tears, um, was really helpful for getting through the grief process. Um, and it was also accepting how each other processes grief in different ways. Brian went back to work, you know, within a couple of weeks, and that helped him because then he was able to focus on work, whereas I would not have been able to do that. So I took a lot of time off and I spent a lot of time reading and walking and doing other things, but having a respect for he's not, you know, that he's not going to be able to process in the exact same way I am and vice versa. Um, And being able to, to still be there for each other um, was very important. And I know when People have a a loved one who goes through something. So like you went through with Luke, like cancer, any of those things. Um, 
everybody says, oh, you know, let me know if there's anything I can do, or I want to, I want to be of help. So what are some of the things that you found people did for you during any of, any of the, the trials that you've been through that were helpful? And is there also anything where you can kind of warn people of maybe some don't do's or, or anything that you found? I mean, and of course, everybody's different and the kind of things that they're going to want and not want, but I'm just interested to know kind of what, what outside things were helpful for you or maybe not so helpful. Um, well, things that were really helpful were, um, giving us a call or, you know, nowadays it would probably be a text, but just making that contact because, um, we weren't in the mindset to be able to, to just call people to chat. But when people called us, we really appreciated it. Um, coming for a visit and, you know, just as you say, instead of saying, Oh, let me know if you'd like me to come visit saying, I'd like to come visit can I come Saturday? Can I come Sunday? What day works for you? And, and taking the initiative to do that planning when someone's in, you know, kind of a, a stressed and hurt, hurt mindset, mm-hmm. um, not be afraid to ask about, um, the issue, whether it's, whether it's someone who's died or whether it's this health, um, a health problem, actually asking about it, is fine. I think a lot of people are really afraid to do that, but it helps. And then it also helps the person who's grieving or who's suffering not feel like they have to be the one to bring it up. Mm -hmm. Um, but at the same time, if you asked, like if someone asked me about Luke, if I wasn't in the right mindset, I would have no trouble saying, you know, I could give them a little story and then just say, Oh, I'm not feeling like talking about that today, but, um, just asking about it was appreciated. I guess, um, suggestions for what not to do really. Um, I guess don't wait to call. I I've always held with me. Um, when we were in the hospital, uh, with Luke, we were surrounded by people, family, nurses, doctors, and we came home and we planned the funeral and we went to the funeral. And once again, family, friends, people calling us to check up on us. And then after the funeral, we went home and it was just utter silence. It was so mm. quiet. And I think people, um, well, I talked to a few people after who had called maybe in a couple of weeks later and said, oh, well, we were afraid to call you. We wanted to give you time with your grief. But the, the house was so still. And I think I personally would have appreciated, you know, people reaching out right after the funeral. Um, that's very specific to my grief. Uh, mm-hmm. So that might not be the same for everyone, but that was what I would have appreciated. Um, and also um, it was really nice when people came over and would just pitch in. So if they came over for coffee, I remember having a friend who came over for a coffee, she made the coffee and then she washed the coffee mugs. I'm like, <laughs> that's such a little thing, but it was so appreciated at the time when you have, you know, so many other things on your mind. So, yeah. Well, and like you say, you know, that that example of people kind of reaching out right away, it might be specific to you, but really you can't go wrong because if someone's not ready or they don't want to talk, they don't want to visit, they can always just not answer the phone or say, I'm not up for it or whatever. So it Mm -hmm. probably is a good idea to just go ahead and reach out as soon as possible. And then, you know, let the other person sort of be the gauge as to whether it's too soon or, or, or not. I think so too. And I think you also 
might have might be thinking, oh, well, someone else is, she's probably busy with family right now, so I'm not going to reach out. Whereas the family's like, well, she's probably busy talking to her friends. And so everyone's waiting and no one's actually reaching out right afterwards. So right. that may be why it's a little quieter at that time. Well, that's helpful. Thank you. And moving into more uh, more typical problems, um, as opposed to some of the really uh, the more tragic things you faced. So I know you have dealt for a while with the whole thing of living closer to the city, doing the commute because you were working at um, the University of Toronto. What was your title there? I was the Assistant Director for Education and Information Services at the Gerstein Science Information Centre. <laughs> So I just always <laughs> said my friend Allison's a librarian, but that uh, that was your title. But I know you were really struggling with the whole idea of, you know, like getting to the public transportation and then switching public transportation, then doing the whole thing in reverse on the way home and then getting to daycare on time and whatever. And so you guys actually mm-hmm. made, uh, made the big plunge to move more to the country. So mm-hmm. your husband's doing a little bit of working from home, a little bit of, of commuting to work, and you actually changed jobs. So how is that mm-hmm. going? It's going really well. Um, So probably part and parcel with all of the things we've kind of faced over the last uh, seven years, there's been a lot of stress in our lives. And as you say, the commute was just adding to that because we were both commuting um, an hour or an hour and a half into the city. So I'm now working um, in Peterborough at the public library and my commute is a whopping 15 minutes of driving (laughs) (laughs) and I can take the girls to the bus stop and still get to work and then get home before it's dark out. Um, So it's just lovely. I feel like we have some breathing space in our lives right now and we probably could have used that a lot sooner, but I'm just glad we did make the change when we did. And I think it's going to um, give us some more, family time going forward that we might have struggled to to get when we were still commuting. Yeah, I think honestly, I think that was such a great decision for you guys. I know I would get tired hearing your stories of <laughs> of trying to do uh, the commute into work and everything. So I'm so glad it's working out for you. I'm also glad that it means you're only 20 minutes away from me now. So hopefully we're going to see uh, lots more of each other. I was going to say you're probably glad because now I live closer to you. <laughs> For sure. And you've also just uh, celebrated a milestone birthday not too long ago. So how does Sporty feel? 39, Kate, please. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm 40 and happy and proud. Um, and it feels great. I feel wonderful. And I think it's probably because of the move and the, the new job and everything. So I do actually feel far more relaxed at 40 than I did at 36. <laughs> That's probably you're feeling relaxed because of our lovely day at the spa to celebrate your birthday that we just had. Oh, wasn't it lovely? (laughs) It absolutely was. So Mm -hmm. the last thing I usually ask my interviewees is if they have kind of a This Mom Loves or a favorite thing to recommend. And I think you have a book you want to share with us. I do. So um, one book that has stuck with me for the past seven or eight years is um, called Mindfulness, an eight-week plan for finding peace in a frantic world. Um, And it's available on Amazon and Indigo. And I just found um, the practice of mindfulness so helpful to me while I was going through all of the the different challenges um, 
I've had to face in life. Um, but I started it with the infertility treatments because it was a very stressful time. Um, so this book, it's, I, I refer to it as my security blanket because I would just keep it on my bedside table. And when I was having trouble sleeping or um, having anxiety about something, I just open it up and read a few passages. You can do the whole eight week plan, but I found just the, the quality of the writing and just, um, you know, the chapters on their own to be very helpful and, and very calming um, when you're going through times of stress. Well, thank you very much. I'm going to have to check that one out. And I've got to say, I don't think I'm going to be able to be a Barbara Walters because if I couldn't get you to cry throughout that whole interview, <laughs> then I don't think I could ever live up to her. But I didn't cry either. So that's good. Neither of us cried. Um, I just think that you are so amazing. And I wanted to share your story here today because I want everybody else to know how amazing my friend is, but also because I think you truly are inspiring, whether you believe it or not. And I hope that your story can inspire people who are going through any one of those types of challenges or any challenge at all. And also if anyone has a loved one going through something like that, it might give them a bit of perspective or a bit of an idea of how to support or what to do. So thank you so much for, uh, for opening yourself up like this finally. And uh, I just want you to know how much I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Kate. I just hope that having had to go through all of this, that, that it can do some good, that I can be a support for someone um, or that I can, I don't know, hopefully by sharing my story, it will let others know um, if you've suffered from infant loss um, or cancer diagnosis, that you're not alone. And um, I've survived. You can too. And um, I'm always open if any of your readers have um, any questions or, or any follow-up from this. I'd be happy to chat with people and, and hear their stories. That's wonderful. Yes, I was just going to say that I'll have um, details from this episode on my site. So it's thismumloves.ca slash podcasts, and this will be episode seven. And I'll put Allison's social media handles on there as well if anybody wants to reach out to her or if you want to... Uh, you know, to reach out publicly or reach out privately, message her through Facebook or something like that. I'm sure she would be uh, would be happy to answer your questions. Or even if you just want to send a tweet and tell her how wonderful you think she is or what a great interview she did, I'm sure she'd be happy about that too. All right. Thanks Thank again, you. Allison. I really appreciate you being here. Thank you, Kate. And just before we wrap up this episode of This Mom Loves, I would want to add a, a little footnote to the interview with Allison. Just to let you know, I thought it was very interesting right before her uh, her job change that came up in the past year. She had actually been approved for a sabbatical from her work at U of T to do some research on resilience, which just seemed really perfect to me. And while her, uh, her job change um, took away that opportunity, I'm glad that she did have the opportunity to be on the show today to share her experiences with me and with all of you. I'd also like to thank all of you for listening. You can find the show notes, as I mentioned earlier, at thismumloves.ca slash podcasts. This is episode seven. It would be so wonderful if you could subscribe, rate, or review the podcast wherever it is that you listen, especially on Apple Podcasts. To do a rating or to leave a review is really helpful because it helps other users um, find the podcast. So I would appreciate that. 
thanks as always to my wonderful editor, Lucas Bashitsky. And I will also make sure to include Allison's social media handles. She is uh, certainly open to, uh, to hearing from you if you want to reach out, just to, as I said, to tell her how amazing she is. Or if you do have a question or um, want to ask her anything about anything that she's been through, she's open to that too. And I'll include a link to the book that she recommended as well. So until next time, thanks so much for listening, everyone, and have a great week. 